Welcome to the MPFFU Podcast. The intent and purpose of the MPFFU Podcast is to support the mission to improve wages, working hours, and working conditions for its members. This podcast will disseminate evidence-based relevant information, resources, and strategies. To accomplish this, the MPFFU Podcast will provide reliable, factual, and actionable information that strengthens, empowers, and supports the MPFFU members and locals through United Action. Now our host, Jeff Lassers. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 16 of the MPFFU Podcast. I'm Jeff Lassers and I've been a firefighter paramedic with the West Bloomfield Township Fire Department, Local 1721, since 2004. In this episode, we welcome back Mickey Wivera and introduce you to Matt Zarnecki. Mickey retired from the Dearborn Heights Fire Department, Local 1355, and is currently the MPFFU Eastern Trustee, as well as the Union Education Committee Chair. Matt Zarnecki is with the Harrison Township Fire Department, Local 1737, and is currently a member of the MPFFU Union Education Committee. Mickey and Matt are here to talk about collective bargaining agreements, or CBAs, a.k.a. contracts. Whether your local is nearing the end of your contract year or not, it is always important to know the provisions contained in the CBA, memorandums of understanding, or any other document that defines the terms of work, including hours, wages, working conditions, and the responsibilities of management, labor representatives, and frontline firefighters. Bottom line, knowing your contract means knowing what is expected of you at work and what you can expect from your employer in return. During this episode, Mickey and Matt will help MPFFU members and their locals appreciate the value of understanding your contract. In addition, our guests will list and describe key points to be considered prior to contract negotiations. This episode covers the basics by providing a clear, concise, and high-level overview of professional firefighter contracts. In future episodes, we'll dive into the MPFFU contract worksheet, which breaks down all aspects of your contract to consider prior to negotiations. Although we don't cover the worksheet in this episode, we have made it available for download by scanning this QR code or using the link in the episode description. Also, check out the MPFFU Instagram account at m.p.f.f.u. And finally, please subscribe to the Michigan Professional Firefighter Union YouTube channel. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hi, gents. Hey. How's it going? Very well. How are you? Good. All right. Well, kick us off, Mick. Who are you? What do you do, and where do you do it? I'm uh, Mickey Wavera. I'm currently the uh, Eastern Trustee and the Chairman of the Union Education Committee. Previous life, I was a uh, Retired as a battalion chief out of Dearborn Heights just about three years ago. I spent over 15 years as a local president and almost over 20 years probably as on the executive board itself. So you're here really because you got some expertise. You know a little bit about the topics we're going to talk about today. Uh, I, I, a little bit. I wouldn't say I know much, but I know a little bit. Right. You've been there a couple times. I like Once that. Once or twice. Matt Zarnicki, who are you? What do you do and where do you do it? Yeah, I'm Matt Zarnicki from Harrison Township, local 1737. Been there 18 years, served on the executive board for 10, uh, president, vice president, secretary, negotiated several contracts, and I also serve on the MPFFU's education committee. Right on. Well, it's good to have you guys both here today to really help us appreciate the value of understanding our contracts. 
all contracts are similar, but they're all different. There's nuance because every one of our communities demands a different level of service, a different number of humans, different resources. And obviously those things vary in size, scope, cost, all the things, right? So Mickey, kick us off and help us understand why it's important for all of our MPFFU locals and their members to understand their contract. I've said this mantra for a long time. I said, it's the rule book. It's what we play by. So the contract will spell out how you're paid, what you're paid, when you're paid, when you're supposed to be at work, when you get to eat dinner, all these little nuances of your insurance and your time off and all those little things are spelled out in your contract. Most of them are are pretty plain. A lot of them are a little wordy and, and tough to understand sometimes, but that might be done on purpose. But if you don't know the rules while you're playing the game, you're never gonna succeed in the game. So I always equate it to a, a rule book. Know how to play the game. That's how I always say it. Right on. So it's really the terms and conditions of the games we're playing, exactly. right? Yep. And if I want a seat at the table, that's one thing. Well, what happens when we're playing chess at the table and I don't know how to play chess? We talk about this a lot in the past in a few episodes is the value of a union is having the seat at the table. Absolutely. Right. And so the next step is now that you're at the table, here's the rules. Right. And if you don't like any of them, the seat at the table is your mechanism to change it. Based on what Mickey said, you could argue what he's saying is those that are at the table physically are the ones who should know the contract. But should everybody know the contract or just the people in the bargaining team? So every member of the local should know what's in the contract. It's there as a protection to protect you as a member and to protect your rights as an employee. That's like signing the terms and conditions before I download that app. <laughs> but I get a bo- say in this one, looking, right? right? I get what data you could share, when you can do this, what right. I wear, what we do, how much money. We, yeah, okay. All right, so if that's true, then, Mick, when does the contract preparation begin? Because I can, I can imagine that there's a two, three, four year is, is kind of in that ballpark of when things kind of happen. So does that mean like the last six months I start thinking about it? I wouldn't do that if you want to be successful. <laughs> But, you know, there is no, no set terms on a contract. Could be one year, could be six years, could be five years, could be whatever it might be. Ideally, you want to start preparing for the next contract. The minute you sign the contract, you just negotiated. You have to be prepared of always what's going on. Keep on file maybe the, the grievances that Matt just talked about that you have collected through the life of that contract. Keep those on file because maybe you can add contract language to address this so it doesn't happen again next mm. time. You need to keep an eye on your comparables and what they are, are giving up or what they're getting. So you are always on top of whatever might be going on. Collect the city budgets every year. Stay on top of that. Know where the city's spending their money and what they're spending their money on. In my mind, a perfect contract is you didn't win, you didn't lose. Right? Everybody kind of is in the middle. That's a good way to go because then next time the city's not looking for an ax to grind on you or you're not playing catch up somewhere else. And maybe you take notes right away that day you sign, hey, we need to address this next time, or let's keep focused on this, whatever it might be, that item that maybe we gave a little bit on, let's, let's come back to that one next time around too. Put that one down, put that on your list right away. So it's a matter of sustaining what you have and say, we got to keep this, but also like, hey, we just lost on this or could have done better on that or could have made a modification. And that starts right now. Yeah, Maybe for the sake of the agreement itself in total, you caved on a little bit. That's what I mean. Yeah, but so moving forward, yeah, you want to keep your foot on the gas exactly, on that one, exactly. right? Because you know that maybe it'll be another contract. Right. Away, There's always on- going to be. The other end of that is nine times out of 10, we're going to outlast anybody in, on the other side of that table. Right. The HR director, the city manager, the mayor, whoever might be, that local is going to be there long after they're gone. Well, that's another variable to consider. I like that. 
Let's get into some of these key points to be prepared for prior to that contract negotiation. We could get into this for hours and hours and hours. When we met originally <laughs> about this, there's a billion different things you could talk about this. Yeah. But for the sake of the conversation, we wanted to distill it down to really some highlights that all of us should think about as a framework in our collective bargaining agreements. One of the things I think it's important to really start with is comparable contracts. Mick, what is a comparable contract? Just because they're your neighbor, they may not even be a comparable. Their size, their demographics, their taxable income, whatever that is specific to that community, those are what make you a comparable. Not just their department size, and maybe you transport, maybe you don't transport, maybe you're ALS, maybe you're not. Those are part of it, but also the demographics of the city itself, the tax base, the population, the square mileage, your, your that types of information, that will give you a comparable throughout the state, really. In Southeast Michigan, you want to, you know, the tri-county area is pretty much the same for the most part. Typically, you try to stay in the same geographic area, though. You're not going to compare a community that's in Southeast Michigan with one that's in, you know, the Northwest Upper Peninsula. Okay, so that does make sense. And it sounds like the comparable contracts that are most effective are as close to you as possible while also matching all of the different variables that are considered to be comparable, which includes not only the type of community you're in, all the things. It's an overall summation to get it as close as possible. Yeah. So is there a list of these things somewhere where they say things you can include as a comparable? Yeah, it depends on pretty much how old your local is. I know my comparables were set up by an arbitrator 30 years ago, and we've used those same comparables for the entire my career in Durban Heights and to this day. And we've lost some like Pontiac don't exist anymore. They were right. a comparable at that time. But the one that for us was almost a mirror image is St. Clair Shores. St. Clair Shores and Dearborn Heights, when you look at them on paper, are almost the identical city, top to bottom. Okay. And is that something that both parties agree is comparable? There is, yeah. Okay. In negotiations, so let's say a younger local, they would have, maybe they would sit down and agree to comparables. Okay, we're going to use A, B, and C, or A, B, C, D, and E, whatever it might be. Right. And both sides are working off the same map. Then okay, so everybody kind of like pools together and say, we all agree that these are considered comparable. So Correct. I bring my 10 and like, oh, we all agree to these eight or whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that brings me to my next question. Now I got all these comparables, but there's also other things in my city or township, like the police department or even the water department or whatever in the labor departments that are a part of my municipality that I guess can be considered internal comparables, right? So an internal comparable is going to be another bargaining unit within your municipality and your community, like a DPW or a police department, clerical workers, those types of unions. Back when the Snyder regime was in office, they actually put more weight on internal comparables than external comparables when it came to contracts, along with ability to pay. Why? The economy was in a, a downturn at that time, and it was more favorable for municipalities, and they... It um, limited your number of people to bring to the table to even compare yeah, to. So, so I can't bring 10 to the table that are mirror images. No, 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 no. It's just like, well, we've got three other unions here. Why can't you just mirror them? It made it easier for them to cut benefits. That's my That's point. Right, right. It was, They're 20 it was, years behind us. Right. Yeah, it was out of convenience. Okay. You know, the, yeah. the economy's, you know, doing good, you know, raises and pay and everything's great. You know, the economy's doing bad. That's when municipalities and the governments make their cuts because they can justify the cuts. That brings back to the preparation for negotiations, too. You need to keep an eye on your internal comparables and what they're maybe negotiating and what they've signed for at the table, too, because that will dictate probably the direction the city is going to come at you from, too, and what items they might be looking for. What would make those other unions, it's not just the fact they've had a union, they may not compare to ours. 
at what point do those internal comparables not become comparable, just other internal contracts? I think the most common is going to be PD. 90% of the time, it's going to be the same pension system or the same retirement system, same health care, usually for police right. and fire. You may get some deviation with the office type AFSCME mm-hmm. workers there kind of thing. But DPW is kind of a different animal too. You know, they're a 24-hour operation. We're a 24-hour operation. So the internal, probably the most powerful one is going to be PD for us. Right. And I think that's when the strategy comes up most is who settles first tends to yes. dictate who settles last, right. which is unfortunate sometimes. But uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people sign before they might need to. <laughs> Okay, on to the next topic. What is an MFA? A municipal financial analysis, or MFA, is a detailed report that reveals the true financial health of a municipality. So why does my local need an MFA? Well, in order to negotiate a contract, the local must know the basic financial condition of its municipality. It needs to know what monies are available to fund firefighter wage and benefit increases so that appropriate demands can be made in negotiations. If the municipality claims it's unable to pay, the union must make sure that the argument is based on a lack of fiscal capacity rather than mere reluctance to meet union demands. The union can determine the validity of these arguments through a municipal financial analysis. So how do I request an MFA? How does my local get that to happen? So the MFA should come through your executive board. An actual simple procedure, contact your DVP through the MPFFU. And they'll get in touch with the DVP from the IFF. They have it all online now, and they're able to turn those things around in a matter of weeks. So it's really, it's just a simple process. The executive board contacts their district vice president when the time is. When is the best time to request an MFA? So in Harrison, we try to go about six months out before we start negotiations because you want the most accurate information and financial data that you can get. Some municipalities go January to January fiscal year. Some go July to July. You want to try to have the most accurate data. So our township does January to January. In April is when their audit's in so that IFS is able to use the most accurate data to go through and do the, the MFA. All right, so as close to the negotiation as possible is when I request that MFA so that at least we got some numbers to start with. Right, because your municipality's always going to argue ability to pay. Sure. That's, that's, so it's, it's just really the, just like, okay, yep. here's, what, here's what the outside group says, what's really going yep. on. And should you find yourself in a 312 arbitration, ability to pay is one of the heavier weighted items in there. And the city or municipality you work for is going to have up-to-date numbers that week. So you're kind of behind the eight ball and playing from behind if you don't have the most accurate up-to-date information available to you. Like Matt said, I said the city's always going to cry poor. But getting that information to the international and have our bean counters go through it, lays it out very simply. Here's this money. Here's this money. Here it is. And they can't hide it. It's plain as day. So it removes the ability of anybody to say something is or is not what it actually is. Right. Right. Copy. Let's get into FOIA and PARA, another thing we should really know about if we're talking contracts here. So let's get into the what is FOIA, and let's just get a definition out of the way. The Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA, provides public access to all federal agency records except for those records or portions of those records that are protected from disclosure by any of nine exemptions or three exclusions, whatever those are. But bottom line is what we're saying here, Mick, what is FOIA? So FOIA is a way to get information from the city itself. So maybe you might have a request on healthcare costs, or you might have a request specific to negotiations that you know are coming up, or maybe whatever, just a dream idea that you might want information on. 
So you can request through FOIA, usually through the clerk's office of your, of your city or your township, and get that information from there. Although FOIA, there's a cost involved for your organization to request that information, and those nine exemptions can be redacted from that information. So maybe what you're looking for was removed or wasn't supplied at that time. So FOIA is just a mechanism to allow me to find out things that are happening within my municipality. They can't hide anything from you unless it's under any of those statutes or different things that they can kind of keep away for specific reasons. Not just financial. It could be other things too. Okay, like what? Uh, Legal stuff. Maybe there's communications that are happening between uh, council and the mayor on, mm-hmm. well, screw those firemen. We need to take away their health care. You know, so it's the, like all the data. Yeah, if it's information and there's emails going back and forth, but you have to request that right. specific information. So a FOIA request is literally saying that there is a data stream. There's information yeah. happening all the time in the municipality. Right. Much of it is available to us. This is exactly what I want, and there's a cost to it. So that's right. basically FOIA. Yep. Okay, so PARA, the Public Employee Relations Act, is a labor relations statute which grants all public employees within the state of Michigan, excluding Mm -hmm. classified civil service employees of the state and federal government, the right to organize and be represented by labor organizations of their choice. Fancy definition. Clean it up for me, Matt Zernicki. Para allows you to request information in a similar way that FOIA does, except you don't have to pay for it. It allows you to find information to administer and execute your contract. Compare and contrast it for me. When would I make a FOIA request or a PARA request? And why are they different? And do I care about one more than the other? PARA would be more specific to the contract issue. So this is where healthcare might be an issue. And I want to know exactly what you're paying, Blue Cross. I want to know how much you're paying for dental. Those types of things could be a pair request because it's directly related to your contract. Right. So, for example, with uh, cancer being so prevalent in our profession, if you wanted to have something in your, your contract with cancer screenings or a more robust cancer prevention program, you could fill out a pair request and ask for insurance data, those types of things, and kind of help steer you and guide you towards what type of proposal to make. So it's all, again, it's a data to help you make a decision on what to ask for and what not to ask for. Yeah, that might be on your, on your list of things that you want to negotiate. And this right. helps you define what maybe we're going to ask for and how we're going to ask for it. Okay, so when and how should I make a para request? Any para request should come from your executive board. Okay, so they go to the clerk's office. They make these specific requests. Each municipality probably got their own forms and yeah, stuff. They do all their stuff. They process it. You get your information. Now you got it. So a lot of the things that kind of drive that is not only that information and data, but we also kind of compile a wish list, which should be considered while we're also gathering data because how what people want and they need should also be considered. So why and when should a local compile a wish list of items to include in their contract? Start with you, Mickey. When we ended negotiations and started that list of items we needed to address, start there. So it, truly this list started the day you signed your contract. Because these are the items we want to address in the new contract. So it's kind of like like make the list right away, even though you're going to put it away for a while because you're saying come back to it. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a rolling, rolling thing that you might have for two, three, four years, whatever the life of your contract is. This rolling document of, hey, we need to address this. Right. Hey, we need to look at this. I would say start with those items for sure. Then this isn't about the executive board and the executive board having the agenda to push one item or two items or whatever it might be. This is a collective of the group, right? That's the power of a union, everyone coming together for the collective greater good. So you get what everybody would like to see, not just one or two guys in the next contract. Sending an information out maybe nine months ahead of time, give or take, 
of, hey, what items would you like to see on this next contract to be addressed? And you'll get that list back from the guys. Pare it down maybe to uh, you know, a dozen items. I would then send it back out again to the membership. Please rank these 12 items and then go from there. Then you can get a gauge of what, hey, this is important to our membership. These are the items we want to address and, and put more importance to. It's bottom number 12. Maybe that's a throw-in. We're going to leave it on the list, but that's something we're going to give up. All right, so you at least have a mechanism to put out there, hey, what do you want? And then, hey, does, how does everybody feel about the list we currently have? Right. Good feelers. Okay. And then there's some things on the list that are just givens, right? Like right. raises, yeah. time yeah. off, right. Right. you know, those those types right. of things. Probably wages, hours, working conditions. <laughs> right. Those three at the right. top. And then what else? <laughs> right. Right at the yeah, right at the top. So there's some things like that on there that they're they're gimmies. But the larger your local is, the harder it kind of gets. Because yeah. you, you do have, you know, if you have one or two people that are really looking for something, but you have a 30 member local. You know, sometimes they might feel slighted that their item didn't make the list or nobody was on board with what they wanted, but that's what a union is. It's what the majority wants. And so let's figure out a way for your local to figure out how you whittle that down. That's really up to your e-board to kind of manage. Right. And sometimes that might not be the same every five years. People no, change, not, systems right. change. Okay, so who should oversee the development and execution of the wish list? You kind of answered that. It sounds like it kind of comes from your e-board to manage that, put it out there, gather, talk about it, and they send and receive that information. Exactly. I think okay. that, you know, just like everything else, president kind of, and it trickles down from there. Secretary is the guy putting the pen to the paper and sending it out to the guys and that kind of thing and gathering all the information and bringing it back to the board as a whole and kind of going from there. Once I have this list and I got all really ready to go, I feel good about it. There's a lot of information I don't really want to get out there. So it's really good to have open, honest communication amongst a, a union and open and talking all the time about stuff. But there's, at some point, there's a need to know. So when does that confidentiality kick in? You know, why is it important to maintain it throughout the bargaining process? First of all, it's you have to be bargaining in good faith. So to spread everything that comes back for after each negotiation session with the entire bargaining unit is not necessarily doing that because you're putting out what has been discussed in that room, and that's not necessarily a good way to go. Mm. But I have had it happen in our local years ago. We had a TA on an item that would have benefited all of our members, and it got out. The member immediately ran to City Hall in his flip-flops and swim trunks and started banging on the mayor's desk, and that TA went away. So. Keeping things close to the vest is sometimes a good thing. And our membership lost out on that because one member didn't like how it was going to shake out for him personally. So keeping it close to the vest, letting your membership know we are progressing, everything's going well. You know, we're having some stumbling blocks. We've got one or two issues that we've TA'd, a couple things that we're still working on. And then finally giving the finished product has always been beneficial as as far in my history. Okay. So it sounds like that we all agree on a process of how things should happen. And then we put trust in the group of people we voted in to manage that process. Absolutely, That's why you elected them. Yeah. That's why you elected them to do that. And even if you didn't like it, well, the majority did. And that's the reason we're doing it. Right. So the confidentiality almost isn't a secret so much as a mechanism to maybe tamper rumor control to uh, remove perceptions, and to let the process play out organically without any hurdles. Exactly. Right. Which, is, which is interesting. And we're in an information-driven society right. where we have information you know, instantly available at our fingertips. So people want to be in the know, especially when it comes to their livelihoods, their pay, their benefits, those types of things. But 
negotiations is a very fluid thing. They could be starting off good and things could be going good and then they can just take a turn and if, take a yeah. If you throw information out there to your membership and it does go sideways for whatever reason, you know, then they're going to be mad at you. Yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. Okay, so you guys gave us some really good key points to really consider in our contract. We really hit the high notes. And I know, Matt, you guys have created a more detailed checklist of what unions and locals can utilize to really start pairing up. What does it say in your contract about X, Y, and Z? A little bit more detail and nuance. And we're going to make sure we put a link to that in the episode description. Anybody can kind of download that. I appreciate you guys very much. Any closing thoughts? Actually, I want to just add in that um, the new contract committee is going to be an excellent resource moving forward. I think we're about to launch point. I don't know if it's 100% go at this point. I know uh, last committee meetings, I think it was really close. Give us an overview. What's their mission? So it's going to be a computer-based system that you can plug in comparables, and maybe it'll be just wages. And it'll compare wage for whatever it might be. Or you can compare your municipalities as a whole. You could pick out certain items. And the committee itself will handle all that. If your request needs to go through your DVP, they'll get with the, the committee. And then within a day or two, it seems like, knock on wood, that they can flip this information for you and have a tangible in-hand specific to whatever topic you might be asking. So you'd literally have a team helping you identify the most accurate and efficient and effective comparables around the entire state. We do. Because everybody's all giving them the data. So they're kind of like human search engines. Exactly. That's really cool. Moving forward, that's going to be a great resource for all of us. Fantastic. And show up in September. Absolutely. Come on out. All right. See you guys there. Thank you to Mickey Wavera and Matt Zarnicki for joining us on the 16th episode of the MPFFU podcast. We appreciate you coming on the show to discuss the importance of MPFFU members understanding their contract. To learn more, please join us on September 19, 2023 at the Suburban Collection Showplace in Novi, Michigan for the MPFFU member orientation class. From brand new members to the seasoned vet, this free event has something for everyone. This two-hour class provides an overview of the MPFFU, how it works, and the resources that are available to locals and members. You'll even get to see Mickey and Matt live as they cover more details about contracts and negotiations. The class runs from 10 a.m. to noon. Afterwards, members are encouraged to stick around, enjoy lunch on us, and network with professional firefighters from around the state. To register, scan the QR code on the screen now, or check out the link in the episode description. Also, check out the MPFFU Instagram account at m.p.f.f.u. And finally, please subscribe to the Michigan Professional Firefighter Union YouTube channel.